Welcome to the Deeper Dive Podcast, brought to you by the OC Church of Christ. Let's dive deep into God's Word, learning new insight and taking a fresh look at the verses that impact our daily lives. We will continue with our study of the Minor Prophets by studying out the book of Amos. Here is John Oakes. I'm going to be preaching from the book of Amos. Amos is the third of the Minor Prophets. Let's learn a little bit about the person Amos and his career. So Amos came from uh, what's called the southern kingdom from Judah. If you look at the map there, you can see where Jerusalem is. And then about 12 miles south of Jerusalem is the small uh, farming community in the hills called Tekoa. So Amos, as we'll see, is is a farmer of sheep and sycamore fig trees. You can even see a sycamore fig tree in the picture there. And interestingly, although he's from Judah from the southern kingdom, he comes to the northern kingdom, to Samaria, uh, and he preaches especially against Bethel. Whether that's where he was or what he's preaching against, we don't really know. And Bethel was like the religious capital of the northern kingdom. Um, he, um, Amos was preaching around 760 BC during the time of the reign of this guy known as Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II ruled during the most prosperous time, both politically and economically, for the northern kingdom. Which is interesting because Amos's job is to come to the northern kingdom and preach doom, devastation, and destruction. Now, it would be bad enough to hear that from, from, from your own country, but to have a foreigner come in and preach doom, devastation, and destruction. Now, that's a tough job. Remember last week we saw that Hosea had a pretty tough job marrying a woman who would be unfaithful. So his job was not an enviable one, I would say. Amos is from the country. Unlike Isaiah, who's like a city guy, Amos is a country guy, and he uses uh, metaphors from the country, from farming. He's kind of like a down-home sort of guy. He's Like I said, I believe I said it already. If not, I'll say it again. He's probably the earliest of the written prophets. Now, Elijah, Elisha were before him, but Amos is probably the first prophet of Israel whose prophecies we actually have written down. Now, like I said, the, the background here is a time of great wealth and prosperity, but the message of Amos is God's judgment is coming on Israel and Samaria because of their idolatry, but especially because of their lack of justice. Now, uh, we, we would call lack of social justice. The biblical concept of justice is a little bit broader one than the concept of social justice. But really, we'll see as we go through this, the passages today, we'll see that the, the problems, the sins of the northern kingdom really would fall into what we would call social justice. So Amos is passionate about people showing justice to other people. The, the sermons of Hosea were, were the, le- the message of Hosea was hope and God's love and the opportunity of grace. And it's not like that's not in the book of Amos. In fact, we'll see that. We'll end in chapter 9. There's some hope for a remnant. But honestly, Amos is more like judgment and sin and the day of the Lord. So the sermon today is going to be a little bit more like of a heavy kind of sermon uh, rather than the kind that you're going to be like super encouraged. On the other hand, if you accept the message of Amos, you should leave encouraged. So let's read Amos 5 verses 1 through 13. Hear this word, Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. Let me stop there. And now when, like I said, when Amos is preaching this, Israel's doing great. And so those hearing this message must have said, what are you talking about, Amos? Look around. We got the palaces and, and you know, we control this huge area. But I'm telling you exactly what Amos said is exactly what happened. This is about 760 B.C., and around uh, 25 years later in 735, 
the Assyrians came and took part of the northern kingdom. And then 722, 38 years after this prophecy, a Sennacher, I'm sorry, Ashurbanipal came back and completely and utterly destroyed the northern kingdom, never to be built again, exactly as prophesied here. So you know what? We better listen to Amos. This is what the sovereign Lord says to Israel. Your city that marches out a thousand strong will have only a hundred left. Your town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. This is what the Lord of Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go down to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. Or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them. And Bethel will have no one to quench it. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. We're beginning to see the message here. He who made the Pleiades in the Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkness darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold. He brings the fortified city to ruin. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on the grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions and you, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Fallen is virgin Israel. And we too, at one time, were fallen in our sins. But for Israel, for the northern kingdom, there will be no hope. And the northern kingdom was never reconstituted. So right away, rather than giving the sins they're guilty of, he's going to give the solution to their problem. And it's very simple. He says, seek me and live. Don't seek Bethel. We say Bethel, but actually it would be Bethel, which means the house of the Lord. Do not go down to Gilgal. These are the places where you go for idolatry because Bethel and Dan were the two cities in the northern kingdom where Jeroboam had set up these bulls. Uh, Jan and I actually went to Dan to the place where the altar actually was. And there were these two bulls and Jeroboam says, this is the Lord your God. So they had turned the worship of God, of Jehovah, into a kind of idolatry. And they had other kinds of idolatry as well. But God's saying, do not seek Bethel. Do not seek religiousness. Do not seek safe religion that allows you to stay in your sin. Don't seek worldly religion. And you can think for yourself what Bethel might be equivalent to in the sort of the religious background we live in. Don't do that. Seek me and live. In verse 6, he says, seek the Lord. And I've got a question for you. Are you right now, this week, this month, this year, are you earnestly seeking the face of the Lord, not just religiosity and certainly not the things of the world? Because if you do, you will live. And then he says, there are those who turn justice into bitterness. He's kind of introduced in the topic. Before he does that, he says, I'm the one who makes Pleiades and Orion. And Orion and Pleiades are two of the, of the most obvious constellations in the sky. Even inside of a city, you can look up, you can see those three stars. That's Orion's belt. You can maybe see that on the screen there. And then <clears throat> to the north and to the east of Orion is this really bright little cluster of stars, the Pleiades. And God's saying, hey, I made the heavens. Not only did I make the heavens, but I can call forth the water of the sea and pour them on land. The Lord is my name. You need to seek me. And then he begins to call them out for the sins that they've committed. And they are sins related to be unjust, especially to the poor. He says there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in the court. There are, there are those who actively battle to create corruption. And who does that? It's always the wealthy. 
especially in ancient times, because the wealthy could pay a bribe and could get the decision to go their way, and the rich person, the poor person, is left helpless. He says, "You levy a straw tax on the poor." Now, the Bible is not saying all taxes are wrong or bad, but they devised a tax system, the purpose of which was to bring poor people into debt so they could buy their land at pennies on the shekel and then put them into slavery. So the difference in income between the rich and the poor was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And God says, I hate that situation. I hate that system. And I don't know. Do you think that applies to America today? I, I, I think it's something for us at the very least to think about. Yes? You devise unfair systems by, whereby the poor are taxed into poverty and then the rich have big mansions. He says, you build these huge mansions thinking you have security by them. But I'm telling you, God says, you ain't going to live in that mansion because you're going to be taken off into captivity. Later on, there'll be a hook in your mouth as the Assyrians carry you off. You plant lush vineyards, but you're not going to drink their wine. He says, you have many, many offenses. In in verse 12, he says, uh, you oppress the innocent and you take bribes. And in fact, it's so bad that those who want to do the right thing, those who care about justice, who are willing to seek the needs of the poor, the needy, the widows, the orphans, they're like, I'm not going to say anything because if I speak up, somebody's going to do me in. You know, last just last week I was talking to a sister and she she's a special ed teacher and she loves teaching special ed students. But she says she's thinking of quitting. The reason is uh, she has 25 students and what happens is the rich parents are constantly suing the school to force them to put all their energy into all her energy and honestly into almost all of her time goes into teaching the rich kids because they sued the Board of Education. And what happens is her rich students, she has almost no time left for them. What kind of system is that where the rich get educated and the poor are left behind? Not good. In verse 13, like like I said, those who want to do right and help the poor, they're like intimidated into silence. Not a good situation. You know, I was just thinking about the kinds of injustice that are in the world today, and there, there's a lot. One thing that one thing to notice is, uh, by the way, I got uh, my second uh, COVID-19 shot. Jen and I both got our second this week, which is which is really great. And I want to remind you, when you have the opportunity, please get the shot, because what it means is we as a church can begin meeting together. So even if you personally are not so sure you want to take that. Take it for the sake of not just your brothers and sisters in the church, but your co-workers and the people out in, in public. Please, please do that. But as of today, I believe it's something like 125 million vaccinations have been given in America. How many vaccinations do you think they've gotten in Ethiopia or in El Salvador? Zero. Is that just? Is that fair? Now, I'll tell you right now, when I got the call from Kaiser, come on in and get your shot, I went in and got my shot. And I'm not saying don't do that. But how, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about living in a world where the rich countries get all the advantages, including the advantages of getting uh, flu vaccinations while the poor countries are waiting and dying? I saw an announcement this week that the U.S. is sending several million shots, at least, to Canada and Mexico. That's better than nothing, and I'm thankful for that. You know, we always say America first. Okay, I get it. I mean, sure. How about poor people first? You know, one thing that will get, if you're a politician, one thing that will get you out of office in two seconds is to pass any kind of law that allows for jobs to be sent overseas. I've got a question. What's so bad about a job going overseas? Because I would say, let's say uh, we get uh, a call center thing. And so one American loses a job and five Filipinos get a job. What's so bad about that? One American you know, may have to go out and get a different job, but our unemployment rate's around 5%. You could probably get a job. 
And even if you can't, you probably have unemployment. I don't mean to, to minimize or lessen any kind of suffering here. But imagine five people getting a job in, in, in another country. You know? And, and we, we get on the, on the phone, we're doing service calls, and somebody is on the phone and they have an accent, and we complain and we hang up on them. I can't hear you. How about maybe having compassion on somebody who's trying to feed their family and trying their best to learn English so that Americans can understand them? How about having a little bit of compassion Am I hitting home a little bit? You know, we hate outsourcing. How about helping poor people? Maybe they could use a job. You know, I we spend something like $800 billion a year on, on defense, on national defense. Now, I'm not going to get into where the budget should be on that. But if we spend a couple billion dollars to help feed the poor or to provide health care for the poor in Africa or in South America or whatever. Americans scream bloody murder. What about you? What would Amos say? If Amos were preaching today, who would he be preaching against? Would it be against us with our nice houses? I don't know. Something to think about. Let's read on. Let's read verse 14 through 17. It says, uh, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. So remember, when he says, don't go down to Bethel, he's talking, going down to Bethel is, is like religious people, people who are claiming to be very, very faithful Jews. They're convinced they're right with God. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord your God will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil and love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Perhaps. Therefore, this is what the Lord's the Lord Almighty says. There will be wailing in the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. They'll be wailing in all the vineyards for I'll pass through your midst, says the Lord. The Lord is going to come to judge in this situation. Here's the interesting thing. In verse 4 and 6, he said, seek the, seek the Lord and live. Seek me and live. And here he says, seek good, not evil and live. Well, which is it? Seek God and live or seek good and not evil and live? I, I think it's, it's both and. It's not either or. So as disciples, as followers of God, we need to seek him first. But in seeking him, we need to seek the good and justice for those who are in positions of disadvantage, which could be the elderly. It's especially the single moms. And it's people, honestly, not in our own country where wealth is a standard operating procedure. So on the one hand, seek God and live. On the other hand, seek the good of human beings. Christian or not, seek their good. Seek justice. Justice means doing the right thing for people. Maintain justice in the courts. Then God will be with you. So being religious, even, even praying and having a great quiet time, which is certainly part of verse 4 and 6, I think we go need to go from there and at least listen to Amos, which is saying we need to seek justice for people in this world who are not treated justly. And then in verse 15, the second half of verse 15, he holds out some hope. He says, you know, if you guys will turn it around, if you'll change the course, if you'll get rid of those corrupt leaders, if you'll create political systems which do not favor the rich over the poor, maybe, just maybe, I'll be able to hold back the judgment. Now, here's the thing is, if you're not in a position of political power, how are you supposed to do this? Well, that's something for you to think about. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't think you or I are going to be able to pass laws that create greater levels of justice. But I think we can speak out against injustice and go on a march. <laughs> you know, go on a march to march for justice, to march for, for women for racial justice, for uh, economic justice, 
something we don't really think about. But we need to do something. What is that thing going to be for you? I'll let you decide that. But one thing I know is, according to this passage, if they're not going to repent, there is going to be wailing in the streets and judgment is coming. Now, it's going to get worse before it gets better, just so you know, folks. It's going to get worse before it gets better. We are going to have, we're going to be holding out hope at the end of this passage. Aren't you glad about that? Seek good, not evil, and live. Now, now Amos 5, 18 through 27. It's going to be talking about the day of the Lord. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. Though he entered his house, resting his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without ray of brightness? That's tough to hear, isn't it? I hate, I despise your religious festival. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-ending stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, and the star of your God, which probably, by the way, is those bulls they're sacrificing to in Bethel, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. So he's talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is an almost constant topic in the prophets, Amos 3.2, Amos 5.18, Obadiah 15, Micah 3.12, Zephaniah 1.14, Zephaniah 2.6, Isaiah 13.6, Isaiah 34.4, Jeremiah 46.10, etc., etc., etc. The notes are at my website and maybe um, uh, um, Monroe will post them at the church website. Let's just read one. We're going to come back to the day of the Lord. Let's just read one kind of day of the Lord passage, Joel 3.14. Hosea, Joel, Amos. Easy to find. Joel 3.14. The theme of the book of Joel is the day of the Lord is coming. And as you can see, the day of the Lord is not happy, happy time for those who are in sin. Even for the righteous, it's not necessarily happy, happy time. Uh, Joel 3.14. I love this passage. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. What is the day of the Lord? Well, look on the screen there. I I, I found a nice quote describing kind of the Old Testament idea of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is um, a moment when Jehovah grasps the reins, which he seems to have held slackly before, when the currents of his moral rule receive a mysterious quickening and the Lord's work on the earth is at last fully performed. So the day of the Lord is a day after waiting, 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 because God is a, is a merciful God. And, and, a, and, and he, he relents to bring calamity. The day of the Lord is a day when God's kingdom comes with power to either raise up or to tear down. The day of the Lord is a day that God manifests himself. The day of the Lord came many times in the Old Testament. One of those, obviously, was the flood of, of Noah. Another one of those was in 722 BC, when the Assyrians came and just wiped out the northern kingdom because of their idolatry and their lack of justice. Another one is in 701 BC, all right, come to the Isaiah class. We talked about that yesterday. We'll be talking about it next week when Sennacherib came and, and almost completely destroyed Judah. Another day of the Lord is 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar came and completely annihilated the city of Jerusalem. The day of the Lord is also Acts chapter 2 where God comes in, in this time to bring salvation. 
God had been waiting, 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 and then just this wind and flames and and the earthquake. But you know, the greatest, the greatest day of the Lord in all human history is in the future. It's when Jesus comes back. So we need to be ready for the day of the Lord. And let's go back to Amos five. All right, and and he says, you know, most of you should not be thinking, yippee, day of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And then the day of the Lord comes and you're going to be hiding in caves. Why? Because, oh, you're being religious. You're going to church. You're saying hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Holy Spirit, blah, blah, blah. But you're not treating the poor as they should be treated. You're not treating those who are disadvantaged. Think about it. Who has power? Who has authority in our world? All right. I don't need to say because you know already who it is. And you're you're not seeking the good of those who don't have the position of power, authority and control. The day of the Lord, verse 18, is a day of woe. The vast majority, even of religious people, should not be looking forward to it. Because it's a, a day when God comes to recompense those who've rebelled against him and to save those who've been with him. Israel in Hosea's time was very religious. I'm sure as religious as we are today in America. They did all the sacrifices. They did all the ceremonies. But he says, you know what? When the day of the Lord comes, you're going to run away from a lion and you're going to run right into a bear. You're going to flee. You're going to come into your house. Ah, 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 ah. I'm safe. And you look down and there's a, a venomous snake. He bites you and you die. That's what the day of the Lord is like. Not a good thing. May this never be you and may this never be me. Instead, let us seek the Lord and live. Let us do good, not evil, to those who are in difficult situations. You know, there is no escaping the day of the Lord. And the way to prepare for the day of the Lord is to have your life agree with what you say you believe in. We had a class on the book of James a while ago. And that was the theme of James is your life and your faith need to agree with each other. That's what he's saying. And if we are not practicing social justice, if we are in idolatry and other kinds of sins other than the ones that Amos happens to, to be passionate about, then God says, I despise your religious assemblies. They make me sick. They, they're like a stench. Could that ever happen to you and to me? The answer is a very clear yes. May it never be. Brothers and sisters, our life needs to agree with what we claim to be believe in. And Jesus said, we need to love people. And Amos says, we need to take care of those who the society doesn't take care of. And we cannot tolerate a situation where those who are rich get richer, poor get poorer, and the, and the poor, the old, elderly, uh, fill in the blank, are left behind. He says, did you bring me these sacrifices and offerings the 40 years in the wilderness? Yeah. And I delivered you. But he says, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus. By the way, that's exactly what happened. Because if you look at a map, here's Assyria. Here's the northern kingdom. And the the armies come through northern part of of Iraq, uh, Syria, through Damascus, down into Israel. And they were indeed, 38 years later after this prophecy, they were carried off into Damascus. Why? Because they never repented of their idolatry, their love of things of the world, and their worldliness and their dependence on their wealth. Okay, let's go on here. We're going to be... Oh, yes, I forgot to forward the screen. My apologies. The day of the Lord, a day of woe. Why? Because of injustice. I hate your worship services. And then, yes, I forgot to emphasize this thing. This is a great passage. Verse 24 is is a great passage. And by the way, if you listen to Dr. Martin Luther King's very famous 
I had a dream uh, speech. Kind of the, the highlight of that speech is when he says, let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a mighty stream. And I believe the things that he was calling for in that day were just things. A, a world where people are treated not based on the color of their skin, but on their character. That is, a, I, I just listened to that speech recently. and it, Every time I hear that speech, I move to tears. You know, God's justice is something that cannot be avoided. It's like a, um, a, a flood. Uh, you can see on the screen the picture. Jan and I were in uh, Iguazu Falls in, in the, the border between Argentina and Brazil. And I'm telling you, I would not want to be standing at the bottom of that waterfall. And that's what God's justice is like. It's like an avalanche. It's like a flash flood. And good luck standing up in a raging river. But I'm telling you, if you're going to live and in, in support injustice in this world... You're going to be up against a God. And God says, let justice roll down like a river, like a never failing stream. Let's read Amos 6, verses 1 through 7. He says, woe to you who are complacent in Zion and who feel secure on Mount Samaria. A little a bit of context there. Zion, that would be Jerusalem, that would be the southern kingdom. And Samaria, that would be the capital of the northern kingdom uh, of Israel. So woe to you who are at ease in Zion and those who are complacent in Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Woe to you, great, powerful leaders of God's people. Go to Kalna and look at it. Uh, then go from there to Hamath. Then go down to Gath and Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the day of disaster and bring near a reign of terror. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You design on, you dine on choice lambs and fatted calves. You strum away on your harps like David, and you improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful. You use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. Now, there's a list of things here. Is an ivory bed a sinful thing? What about a couch? What about nice lamb on the table? What about a nice piece of beef? Tri-tip. What about listening to some music you enjoy? What about having a glass of wine? But if we don't grieve over the sins of the world, those things are empty and really they're detestable. See, that was that's what was happening. I'm telling you, those who are hearing this message, they know exactly who and what Amos is talking about. They had their luxurious palaces built on the backs of the hard work of the poor. Anything similar to that in our world? I think so. You know, I was talking this week to my friend Widler. Uh, he's uh, a friend of mine in Haiti in Port-au-Prince, and I'm hoping to go there in July or August to teach for the church there. And, you know, we're talking, and he and, and uh, the guy who leads the church there, their internet's coming and going, and, and you see stuff happening behind them, and he had to go to another house, and you hear, you hear noise in the street, and, you, and I start realizing these guys live in a world so different from my world. In their country, it's complete political chaos. The poverty is in your face every day, all the time. In order to get anything done without bribes, how do you even do it? That's the world that lives. It's right on the doorstep. It's like, you know, whatever, 300 miles from Miami. That's Haiti. Do we care about those things? While we're living in our air-conditioned houses and we have our nice little couches, and by the way, I've got a couple couches at my house too. I'm convicted about this. As I'm talking to Whittler, I'm realizing, oh my 
goodness gracious. Do I understand how much luxury I live in? And, you know, God is not against wealth, riches, and luxury, but it's very, very dangerous to have those things because we could be like those who are at ease in Zion and complacent. Are we complacent in, in, the, in the light of the plight of the people of this world? And understand, living in spiritual poverty is at least as bad. Actually, it's worse than living in physical poverty. Although that's what Amos is going after, there's people who have lots of stuff and are living in utter spiritual poverty. And I do not mean to undermine that important thing as well. Are you complacent in your spiritual life? Have you settled for um, sort of mediocre Christianity? If you do, you stop noticing all the luxuries in your life you take for granted. I'm telling you, I, I, I leave America on a regular basis and I'll spend two, three, four weeks in the developing world and I come back and I'm like, <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing to come home. And, you know, and, and the, the thing is, when they're over there in Haiti, they're, they're apologizing. They're bending over backwards to apologize to me for, for what's happening. And it's like, why? Because they're used to Americans getting all frustrated with them. You know, we're so spoiled. Do you have any idea how spoiled you are? And even if you're in the bottom, you know, quarter of America in terms of stuff, I'm telling you, compared to uh, this brother who works for the church, who lives in a kind of poverty that we hardly even understand, even working for the church. So I think the situation that was going on in the Northern Kingdom is very similar to what we have here. And we need to listen. We need to listen to Amos this morning. And we need to take stock of our life. Are we those who are at ease in Zion and complacent in Samaria? At ease and complacent in, in physical things? At ease or complacent in spiritual things? That's the message. That's the question of Amos for you today. Let's read verse 8 through 16. We'll just read it quickly, get on to the next point here. Uh, let me see. The sovereign Lord has sworn by himself. The Lord God Almighty declares, I abhor the pride of Jacob and I detest his fortresses. I will deliver up the city and everything in it. If 10 people are left in one house, they too will die. And if the relative who comes to carry the bodies out of the house to burn them, ask anyone else who might be hiding there, is anyone else with you? And he says, no. Then he will go on to say, hush, you must not mention the name of the Lord. For the Lord has given the command, and he will smash the great house into pieces and the small house into bits. Do horses run on on rocky crags? I think the answer is supposed to be no. Does one plow the sea with oxen? Definitely not. But you've turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into bitterness. You who rejoice in the conquest of Lodabar and who say, did we not take Carnaim by our own strength? For the Lord God Almighty declares, I will stir up a nation against you, Israel, that will oppress you all the way from Labo Hamath to the valley of Arabah. God abhors the worldly pride. The pride, uh, I think of, of 1 John chapter 2, it says that the, 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 the world, the, the pride of life, the lust of what we have. God detests the things we rely on other than him. So he's going to bring on the day of the Lord. It's coming, folks. And God's been waiting. It's been about 2,000 years. And I can't tell you how much longer it's going to be. But I'm telling you, the day of the Lord is coming for you and for me. And when this happens, we can see people are going to be hiding out. Imagine God coming through the streets and you're hiding in the basement, hoping he doesn't find you. I'm telling you, he's going to find you. How about this? How about if we seek the Lord and live? And how about if we seek good for people in this world, for the people who do not have good? And like I said, 
people outside of America is a great example of that. Do horses run on rocky crags? I think not. Do oxen plow the seed? See, not that I've heard of. Even worse is to turn God's justice into poison pills for the poor and the needy and the dispossessed and the alien. He says, you rejoice in the conquest of Lodabar. By the way, Lo, remember Lo Ami and Lo Ruhama? Lo means not. All right, and Dabar is thing. So basically, you're, you're rejoicing in the conquest of nothing. Your worldly victories are worth zero. The thing is, the same thing that is worth nothing, if we have it in the light of a committed life to God, is a beautiful thing. Those same things. You know, Monroe's right here. You know, Pam and Monroe, they don't exactly have massive quantities of money. In fact, they're kind of hurting. But Monroe spends his time and his money and efforts so you can have a pretty awesome worship. And every spare dollar, it seems, is going towards the kingdom. I believe when the day of the Lord comes, Monroe and Pam, I think they're going to pass right through. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong, but that's what I think. Uh, let's skip down to uh, Amos 10. There's a really interesting uh, conflict here that Amos has. All right. Uh, so Amos 7, uh, 10 through uh, 17. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel, Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear his words. For this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword. Israel will surely go into exile away from this native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel. Because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Not the temple of the Lord. The temple of the kingdom. The church of the world. Yeah, the church of the world. The church of the prosperity gospel. Amos answered Amaziah. This is so awesome. I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But I was a shepherd. And I took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock. And he said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now then hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city. Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up. And you yourself will die in a pagan country. And Israel will go into exile. Away from their native land. You know, if we call people to seek God so that they can live. And to seek the good where the world is offering evil. It's not going to be a popular thing. Amaziah, who was, after all, a priest of the Lord God, who should have said, been saying, praise the Lord, says, uh, uh, Amos, get out of here. We do not want to hear God. We don't want to hear biblical preaching in our church. We want to hear what our itching ears want to hear, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4 where Paul says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come and has now come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a, a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That's Amaziah. Our itching ears don't want to hear the call for justice, the call for pure religion to drive out the idols of this world. He says, go back to Judah, stay out of the king's sanctuary. 
You know, our words sometimes give us away, don't they? And, you know, Amos is so humble. Hey, I never had any pretensions to be a prophet. I'm just a farmer. But God said to come and preach to you, and I'm preaching to you. And if you won't listen, well, then your land will be measured and divided up, and you will go into exile. And by the way, that is exactly what happened. All right, kind of an intense sermon. I think we need to end on a positive note. So I'm going to skip forward. Because every single one of the prophets, even the prophets of doom, always end their message with a letter of hope. And I believe that what we're talking about, that you're going to repent if you need to. And if you don't need to, praise the Lord for that. But we need a little bit of encouragement. So I'm going to read Amos 9, verse 11 through 15 to end us out here. In that day... What day? Well, let's read the scripture. Let's see if you can figure out what day he's talking about. In that day, I'll restore David's fallen shelter. I'll repair its broken walls. I'll restore its ruins. And I will rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And I'll bring my people Israel back from exile. They will be rebuilt. Then they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They'll make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I've given them, says the Lord your God. Our theme for this year is coming home. And the kingdom of God is a place to come home to. So what's he talking about? Well, I think in the context of the Jews who are receiving this message, they're probably going to assume he's talking about what we call the restoration. A remnant, after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, a remnant came back and reoccupied the the promised land. But really, I think he's talking about us. I believe he's talking about the church. God restored David's fallen shelter. And uh, God promised David in 2 Samuel 7, that you will not fail to have a king on the throne. I believe he's talking about the new Jerusalem. He's talking about about the restored kingdom. He's talking about Acts chapter 2. But, you know, in another way, he's talking about the future kingdom. I think it's all three of those. God says, if you will seek me and live, If you will seek good, not evil, then I will create something new. I will take a remnant. I hope you're a part of that remnant. The remnant who are being restored to God's kingdom. God says, I'm going to create something new. And I pray that we are that new thing here in Bakersfield or wherever you live. I pray that God can use us to build, that we could be that city on a hill, that we can be a place where, verse 12, all nations can come to. I love the picture in verse 13. The reaper will be overtaken by the plowman. In other words, by the time you reap the harvest, the new, the next harvest is going to be right behind there. You're going to have so much fruit. You're going to see so many people brought into that kingdom. It's going to be a beautiful thing. The days are coming. And I believe they're here if we will be faithful. Not just to Amos's call to, to give justice to those who are not treated right but all the other calls of the prophets, as we'll see in the coming weeks. The reaper will be overcome by the plowman and the planter. Uh, the one trading grapes will just, the, it'll be dripping from the mountains. He says, I'm going to bring you back from exile. Some of us have been in Egypt. 
Some of us have been in Assyria. It's time for you to come back to the Lord. He says the ruined cities will be rebuilt. Your ruined life can be rebuilt and it never ever will be uprooted again. That's the vision God has for you. Lives will be built in God's image. So what's Amos' message for us? Well, number one, we need to seek God. We need to zealously seek God so that we can live. But to make it practical, we need to seek the good in this world. We need to seek to set things right. To oppose those who use their power to oppress the poor and those who do not have what we have. And folks, we have a lot. So we need to seek God that we can live, but we also need to seek good, not evil, that we can live. That means overcoming sin. It means seeking justice for the disadvantaged, the poor, the alien, the disabled, the single moms, the very old. It means being willing to get off your ivory beds and do something to change this world, whatever that might be. Unlike Israel and Messiah, we need to hear the word of the Lord. If we do so, God will call us back from exile into a beautiful rebuilt city, a kingdom, the kingdom of God. And when the day of the Lord comes, and surely it will come, we will not be like those who, who ran away from a lion and came across a bear, who were finally relaxed in their house only to be bitten by a snake. No, we will be walking in that beautiful city the one that God planted, a place of abundant fruit, safety, and security. Never again dip it rooted from the land that God has given us. Thank you, John Oaks, and thank you all for listening to Deeper Dive by the OC Church of Christ. If you want to get connected to us or want to donate to the program, go to our website, occhurchofchrist.com, or through social media at the OC Church. Join us next time as we continue our deeper dive into the Minor Prophets. Deeper, I wanna go deeper. Come on. Ha, so there it is.